Hello and welcome to the Warren Fintech Podcast, the number one fintech podcast in America. On today's episode, we sit down with Kareem Tabah, Chief Product Officer of Wahed. Wahed is a wealth management fintech focused on Sharia-compliant personal investing for Muslims in over 130 countries. Wahed offers a halal investment platform for everyday Muslims to build wealth by investing in companies aligned with their faith, so no tobacco, alcohol, firearms, and more. Think of it like Wealthfront, Betterment, or Acorns for Muslims. Their portfolio includes a combination of Wahed ETFs, gold, cash, and sukuks, which are a Sharia-compliant instrument similar to debt that pay revenue shares instead of interest. In today's episode, Kareem discusses his background, the unexpected inspiration for starting Wahed, what their investment portfolios look like, their first customers and initial growth strategy, the massive underserved global Muslim market, and much more. Let's get started. Hello, Kareem, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We're excited to have you as a guest today. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so to get started, could you just walk through your background and take us through how you joined Wahed? Sure. So my background is actually in, or I studied banking and finance, worked in investment banking in London for a bit, and a bit in investment management, which kind of led me to, you know, discovering, you know, robo-advisors and, you know, the emerging fintech space back then. So, you know, through connections and research, I ended up meeting our founder, Junaid Wahedna, and just joined Wahed when it was just, you know, a few guys working remotely. And then, you know, started building the product and uh, launched in May of 2017. Awesome. So what exactly is Wahed and what problem is it solving? Wahed is a digital investment platform that invests in Sharia compliant investments. So the problem that we're solving now is allowing investors or savers who want to invest in line with their faith to do so without compromise on cost or efficiency or experience in general. Wahed first started, or our founder got the idea of to start Wahed when he was working in New York City in a cab ride. When the cab driver was asking him for tips on how to invest his savings, and he was telling him that his local scholar was telling him that Apple stock was very compliant. So he was planning on investing all his life savings in Apple stock. And I guess that's how the idea got started. That, that's a pretty unique story. What, what year was that in again? That was 2015. Yeah. I think that guy, uh, that cab driver did pretty well on his investment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Depending on what, if he did end up going ahead or not. I guess. <laughs> so now digging into Wahed a bit further, could you tell us exactly what halal investing is and what your criteria and selection process is like? Halal investing is quite similar to social responsible investing or you know, ESG. There are a few criteria that has that have to be met, such as you know you can't invest in alcohol companies, tobacco, gambling, weaponry, things like that. And there are also a few financial ratios that we have to consider, such as you know overly leveraged companies and obviously companies that make revenue or profit from interest. So after we screen out those companies, we're left with a different investment universe, and from that we construct our different portfolios. And then do you have, you know, a board that does this? Do you hire outside advisors or is this done, you know, within your leadership team? So it's a mixture of both. Global head of portfolios works with our investment committee. 
to construct the different portfolios based on the investable universe. And they work closely with our Sharia advisors who are independent um, to review um, our portfolios and our processes uh, before we include any of those funds or securities uh, in our portfolios. So yeah, it's a mixture of both. So how often are companies reviewed? Is it yearly? Let's say you approve a company in 2018 and then 2019, 2020, they're changing products or financing methods. What happens? So it's usually reviewed quarterly, which is when companies release their financials. Typically, we find that the funds that we invest in, most of them have their own uh, Sharia board or Sharia advisors, and we have our own advisors as well. So that kind of double layer of scrutiny makes sure that you know nothing slips through the cracks. Um, but yeah, it's usually reviewed quarterly whenever companies release their financials. So one part of Islamic finance and Sharia compliance states that you know they can't really profit off interest or allow interest. So how does Sharia compliance navigate that these companies often issue corporate debt and a lot of debt instruments? The first step, I guess, is to make sure that the companies that we invest in do not profit from interest. And the second step is to review their debt levels. So companies that have certain or don't meet certain thresholds when it comes to debt to asset ratios or, or debt to equity ratios are excluded. I should give a disclaimer that I'm not a scholar or you know an expert when it comes to Syria investing, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm giving my own opinion. Yeah. And so for our listeners who might not be as familiar with kind of Sharia compliance, could you talk a little bit more about that profit off of interest? So for example, I'm assuming there won't be any banks in uh, your ETFs. Yes. So we are not allowed to invest in companies that have interest or that basically profits from interest. So banks obviously have, they, they make money off of loans and we cannot invest in banks for that specific reason. So we're usually kind of underweight financials, if you will. Are you able to invest in credit card companies, you know, such as Visa or maybe even Apple if they issue, you know, the, the Apple credit card? There are different perspectives, I guess, around companies like Visa. Some scholars consider Visa as a payment processing company, not as a lender. If you, know, if you can see that you know, difference, that's when the quarterly review kicks in. There are some slight differences between the different indices. If you look at like MSCI, for example, or Dow Jones or the S&P share index, they obviously overlap a lot, but there are some differences between them based on you know, items that are guessed up for you know, your own research or the scholar's own research. And I saw your portfolio composition is, uh, you know, a Wahed ETF, Sukuk, gold, and cash. Can you talk about what each is and, and the benefits of each asset class for your customers? Sure. So we actually have different portfolios for different regions. So what you're referring to is to the portfolio for our U.S. users. This is made up of our own ETF, which we launched in August or July of last year. And that is predominantly equities, U.S. equities. We have a Sukuk fund, which is an Islamic bond fund, basically, which are just bonds that are structured differently to meet Islamic guidelines. And lastly, a gold fund. And the weightings of these different asset classes are optimized based on the user's own risk profile. And then for the Sukuk, could you just talk a little bit more about what it means for a bond to be uh, Islamic compliant? It's usually based on the fact that you can't have predetermined coupon payments. So this is usually handled by two main ways, which is what they call asset-backed or asset-based securities, um, where in some cases the coupon payments 
are derived from the profit that this asset is generating and not really predetermined interest payments. And then what type of investment options does the user have to invest in? Is it like, you know, where I see in Acorns where there's an aggression type scale of extremely conservative to extremely aggressive, or can they customize it further? So different countries, again, have slightly different options. In the U.S., you have six different portfolios ranging from very conservative to very aggressive. In other countries, you have the ability to customize your portfolio as you wish. So you can add, you know, X percent in gold, add some real estate you know, a bit of emerging market equities, it's, you have the freedom to do so. In other markets, also, we have a gold-only portfolio. So it, it depends on, I guess, the user's appetite and uh, what the market requires. But yeah, it's, it's generally based on a few different portfolios that cover different interest levels, with some exceptions. So you keep mentioning, you know, U.S. versus other countries. So what other countries uh, is Wahed in right now? We have main offices in the U.S., the U.K., and Malaysia. Different entities operate in a slightly different way. For example, in the UK, we're not an investment advisor. We can't advise or recommend a portfolio for the user. We first screen the user to see if they're eligible to invest, and then we present them with our different portfolios, and they have to choose their own. So there are small differences like that between different markets, but the underlying investment offering is relatively similar. What is Wahed's uh, largest market right now? In terms of AUM, it's uh, the U.S., our first market. And in terms of number of clients, it's Malaysia. We're optimistic when it comes to expanding to the East and the Far East region. We have a few exciting plans. I can't share too much, but we have a few plans. Hopefully, uh, we can announce them towards the end of the year. Yeah, that's great. And I think a lot of people, our listeners especially, don't realize that there are more Muslims East of Karachi, Pakistan, than West. So that's definitely a yeah, huge yeah. point. So can you talk about kind of when you entered those markets, when you first entered the U.S. market, when you first entered the Malaysia market, what your marketing strategy was like and who did you target? That's a really good question, Ryan. So when we first started in the U.S., obviously we were a new young company, so we didn't really have that brand name established yet. And we went with more of like a community-based approach because the Muslim community in the U.S. is somewhat tight-knit. So we focused on community events, building credibility through you know, different PR strategies and less on things like digital marketing, for example. That was in 2017, May of 2017, when we launched the US. And when we launched in Malaysia, that was in October of last year, we already had a strong brand name because we launched in the UK also a year before. So that was, you know, we, we had really good momentum. The regulator in Malaysia was also pushing for Islamic finance or Islamic fintech, rather. And given that there's a large Muslim demographic in, the, in Malaysia is predominantly Muslim users, we were able to do things that are a bit more scalable, like digital marketing and referrals, and as well as just organic strategies like you know event-based initiatives. Who really is your typical customer, and how has that changed from, say, customers zero to 500 to however many customers you have now? Has it changed at all? Yeah, definitely. And when we first launched in the U.S., our initial users, we had actually a decent number of users coming from existing personal finance apps because they, you know, these are early adopters and they're appreciative of new technologies and are actually, they embrace them as opposed to being, I guess, you know, a bit you know, reluctant to use them. So that was, you know, our early users were around, you know, like late 20s, tech savvy who already use investing apps. 
And then as we started to grow, we started averaging towards 30-ish year-olds. Some have families and are looking to kind of start building their wealth and preparing for, you know, planning for their life goals. You mentioned that that most of your customers came from other financial services firms or fintechs. So does Wahed really have any direct competitors right now? There are some different competitors in different markets. Um, When we first launched in the U.S., there weren't any digital investment, halal investment offerings. There were a few your traditional mutual funds who are who've been in the market for some time, but they were a bit more expensive and they don't offer the same user experience that we do. It's more paper-based. Um, so in that sense, yes, they are competitors, similarly in the UK as well. But now as the industry started to mature, you have different startups coming up that are offering share compliant investment solutions, but perhaps you know, not in equity or not in stock, you know, equity in Sukuk investment. It could be through crowdfunding or real estate, for example, or you know, other different channels. How has COVID-19 impacted your business? You know, everyone has seen that Robinhood and other personal finance apps have seen explosive growth over the last few months. Have you seen similar trends in your customers? I think our best week, I think almost a month or two months back, because most of our users are fairly new to investing and they're relatively young and are in it for the long term. They know that we're not here to double their money in a day. They, they understand that this is for the long term. So they kind of understood that, okay, now is a good time to start thinking about investing. I think almost a couple of months back, we had our best week in terms of client growth. And what does the customer sign-up process look like? Is there a minimum to invest or a minimum lockup period for your customers? Uh, we do not have a minimum lockup period. So, and again, most of our, or rather all of our investments are fairly liquid. So the users can place a withdrawal at any time. The minimum investment in the US is $100. In the UK, it's 100 pounds. And then Malaysia, it's 100 ringgit. So it's fairly accessible across them, all markets. We saw that you just closed a $25 million round from Saudi Ramco's VC arm. Can you walk through what that process was like, especially given COVID? I'm sure a lot of it was digital. And uh, what are you using these funds for? Yeah, so as you can imagine, it can take slightly longer because you know banks might be closed or certain processes that you require from banks might be a bit slower. So it's definitely not your average process. We are going to mainly be using the funds to do two things. First is scale our internal tech and product teams. And second is to expand aggressively internationally in different markets, predominantly in the East. It seems that every fintech over the last you know, few months has started applying for bank charters, started high-yield savings accounts, and other ancillary products. What is Wahed's plan to add new products in the coming years, if any? Yeah, so when we first started Wahed, the vision was always to be like a, you know, a one-stop shop for managing your money in a halal way. We're starting with the robo piece. We're in the early stages, I guess, in exploring other products. We can't really share anything at this point, but we're definitely looking into expanding into a complementary services such as the ones that you just mentioned. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, MBAs, and people working in fintechs of all stages that might leave to start or join a new company. What advice would you give or what lessons did you wish you knew as an entrepreneur now? When you're first starting, you definitely have to have the courage to get started because you might think that you know what you have now is because you know it's your baby, so you want to make sure it's 100% perfect. But you know, I think as Reid Hoffman said, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you're launching late. So I guess that's that's one thing to always remember. 
I've actually never heard that quote. That's a great one. <laughs> Were you embarrassed by your first product? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now I guess looking back, yes. <laughs> but uh, no, at that time, obviously we loved it. We just wanted to make sure that, you know, we had something to go out with. But, you know, as you, you know, re, like iterate and release new new versions, every time you look back at the previous versions, you look, you think that it's good that we launched this new version because you keep on getting more ideas. You listen to users' feedback. You constantly, you know, test and learn and, you know, measure what matters. And so the product is always evolving. So it's, I guess it's natural to think that. Yeah, it's, it's always like reading papers from when you were younger than high school and college. You thought they were so great. And then five, 10 years <laughs> later, you don't age as well. How has it been managing your team throughout COVID-19? Kind of when did Wahed make the change to fully remote and where is your team located? We first started working remotely in the first or second week of March. And we have teams across the world. We have teams in the US, UK, Malaysia and Dubai and Mumbai as well. I would say we're lucky to have amazing team members that have made this transition somewhat smooth. Everyone who works at the companies, you know, really loves the mission. So that made it super easy for us to maintain the same level of energy and to keep our workflows uninterrupted. And obviously wanted to make sure that everyone's safe. So that was our main priority. And thankfully, it's been going smoothly ever since. At the end of the interview, we usually like to ask about personal hobbies. Uh, what has been keeping you busy recently? Have you picked up any new quarantine hobbies? One of my favorite hobbies is uh, dunking. So I, I should say that I'm nowhere near like a, a professional dunker, but I've always wanted to dunk when I was a kid. So I always work on that. Hopefully once the, the quarantine is over, I can go back to practicing. And I tried to polish up my German skills because my grandma's German, so she won't like it if you know I can't speak to her in German. <laughs> so trying to dunk basketballs and learning German. I don't know if I've heard those two yet as quarantine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What what other languages do you speak other, other than English? I'm assuming Arabic as well. Uh, yeah, English, Arabic, German, and French, really basic. So it's I can't really say that I speak German and French properly, but yeah, trying. <laughs> All right, great. Well, Kareem, thank you for coming on uh, today's show. It was great to have you on. Excited to get the show out to our listeners. Thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know your thoughts in the comments. If you're looking for more fintech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauk.